Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, editor of Best's Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Joining me is Brendan Noonan from our communications team. We're pleased to have with us today attorneys Fred Karlinski and Krista Culverson from the law firm of Kolodny, Foss, Talenfeld, Karlinski, and Abate with offices in both Fort Lauderdale and Tallahassee, Florida. Fred Kolinsky is a shareholder with the firm who specializes in insurance regulation. He is also actively involved in all insurance-related legislative issues over the past eight years. Krista is a legislative associate with the firm and practices in the areas of insurance defense and complex commercial litigation. Thank you both very much for joining us today. Thanks, John. Our topic today centers on State Farm's decision to pull most coverage lines in the state of Florida and the potential legislative impact on the insurance industry. Uh, Fred, we'll start with you. How surprising was State Farm's decision, and can you comment on any anticipated new or revised uh, related legislation? Absolutely. John, the decision to uh, most was actually not that surprising. Just to give you a little background, State Farm Florida Insurance Company was licensed to do business in the state of Florida in December of 1998 and wrote its first policy in February of 19. 19- 99. It was set up specifically to wall off some of the hurricane risks that the state of Florida has unique to its um, terrain here. It's a subsidiary of State Farm Mutual and was created as a standalone company designed to handle, you know, only Florida homeowners insurance. As to your question, though, it's not really surprising in certain respects as this dates back to some of the issues surrounding the unprecedented 2004 and 2005 hurricane seasons as a sequence of events leading towards its purported insolvency starts at year end of 2005. After the 2004 and 2005 hurricane seasons, State Farm Florida had a surplus of $561 million, all of which was derived from a $750 million surplus note from its parent, and which carries an interest rate of 7%. The company had uh, $1,371,000,000 of direct written premium and $953,000,000 of net earned premium after reinsurance costs. Um, the, the figures, though, for 2008 for State Farm speak for themselves, and these are based on um, information in the public domain. In November 2008, State Farm Florida's third quarter operating results reported to the Florida Office of Insurance Regulation showed a loss of $198.6 million for the first three quarters of the year. There was a decline of $202 million in State Farm Florida surplus in 2008, and there was a $217 million underwriting loss for the first three quarters of 2008 compared to an underwriting loss of only $13 million through the same time period last year. Earned premium decreased $156 million due to the state-mandated expansion of windstorm mitigation program discounts and a decrease of policies in force. Net catastrophe losses increased $89 million, or 29.7%, and catastrophe losses increased $34 million, 106.4%, primarily due to losses incurred after Tropical Storm Fay. The underwriting loss, combined with earned investment income and other income, resulted in a pre-tax operating loss of nearly $300 million. You take those figures and couple them with the rate filing issues that State Farm was dealing with last year, along with a significant refund and fine, and it's not really surprising that State Farm has taken the position they have. In addition, State Farm Florida conceded 
in September of 2008 that it had failed to implement necessary procedures to comply with statutory administrative rule requirements. Uh, that's what I alluded to just a second ago. The order required State Farm to implement refunds and credits to 98,000 current and former policyholders in the amount of $120 million and to also pay an additional $1.02 million to the regulatory trust fund. With respect to State Farm's rate filing, State Farm has been battling insurance regulators for more than a year over proposed rate hikes that State Farm claimed were necessary to stay afloat in Florida's hurricane-rattled property and casualty insurance market. On July 16th of 2008, State Farm Florida filed for a statewide homeowner's insurance rate average increase of 47.1%, which they actually said the rate increase need was nearly 70%, but they only asked for 47.1%. The rate filing increase was ultimately disapproved by the OIR on January 12th, 2009, based upon a finding that State Farm failed to prove that the rate increase was not excessive, inadequate, or unfairly discriminatory under 627.062 Florida statutes. Look at the state of the Florida property market, the budget crisis, the financial crisis nationwide. No. Based on all these facts, this was not surprising at all. When the largest property insurance company in Florida makes its intent to leave formal, of course, it's always a little shocking uh, to the folks out there. What is surprising, though, is the governor's reaction, the agent's reaction, Florida consumers' reaction, and the legislative reaction, in that the governor basically said to State Farm, good riddance. Now, while he has battled the insurance industry over the last couple of years, um, it is somewhat surprising that he would just dismiss completely 25% of the market. But when you look at um, our governor today, who was probably the most popular governor in the nation, he was just listed to have a 73% approval rating, which is unheard of. He understands, in my opinion, public opinion, and we are a little surprised that the public opinion has tilted so far negatively towards State Farm in that people are angry. People are saying left and right that they feel like State Farm is abandoning the state of Florida, that they're not a good neighbor, and that people will ultimately drop some of their other policies, their auto policies, life policies, annuities, with State Farm if, in fact, State Farm does leave the state, which it appears likely. Also interesting was the newspaper reaction in that some of the newspapers, while they were seemingly calling for State Farm to stay in Florida and look to Florida as a viable market, many of them had a consistent theme with the governor's reaction, which was goodbye and good luck. So that's sort of where we are from a political standpoint and just from an overall perception standpoint of, of what's happened with State Farm. Thanks a lot, Fred. Okay. Uh, Krista, uh, how many policyholders does this impact, and uh, do they have any recourse here? Well, in Florida, State Farm controls approximately 25% of the marketplace, so that generally translates to about 1.2 million Florida insureds who will be affected by State Farm's withdrawal if approved uh, from the Florida marketplace over the next two years. As for recourse, the answer is not really, so long as the OIR ultimately approves State Farm's plan and going forward through this withdrawal process, State Farm strictly complies with a lot of the statutory and regulatory provisions that closely govern and almost scrutinize its withdrawal and uh, ultimate surrender of its certificate of authority. 
Um, just to give you a little background on what's going on procedurally behind the scenes, last week, as you know, State Farm filed its 90-day notice to withdraw with the OIR, along with its withdrawal plan, both of which it's statutorily required to do. So now the OIR is currently reviewing the plan, and ultimately it's the OIR's decision whether the plan makes adequate provisions for the satisfaction of State Farm's obligations, insurance obligations, and ultimately is not hazardous to the policyholders and the general public. Now that said, as long as State Farm complies with all of these regulations governing its withdrawal, as well as adheres to all of its contractual duties pursuant to all of the homeowners' policies currently in force over the next two years, then State Farm's policyholders really have no alternative but to shop around the private market for new coverages. Where we stand now, the OIR is investigating State Farm's decision to withdraw and has issued a subpoena requesting State Farm to produce records relating to each policyholder in each affected line of business. Uh, Commissioner McCarty has indicated that the purpose of that subpoena is to fully understand all of the potential risks so that OIR can properly evaluate State Farm's withdrawal. And uh, that needs to include understanding how the company's statewide risk is spread, which will help the OIR find other companies that might be willing to write policies for the current State Farm customers. State Farm is required to comply with the subpoena by February 9th. So, you know, there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes that need to take place. But presuming and assuming that all of those things happen, all those compliance requirements are met, and the OIR ultimately approves the plan, then the policyholders need to go ahead and find new coverage. Fred, what role would the OIR play in uh, in a possible transition of, of drop policies to other carriers? The OIR will play a very significant role in the transition of drop policies um, if, in fact, State Farm's plan is approved or approved with some type of conditions. Can Commissioner McCarty has already gone on record and said that the OIR will do everything to help facilitate a smooth transition, again, if the withdrawal plan is ultimately approved. Commissioner McCarty has gone on record to encourage the 1.2 million policyholders to begin shopping around for coverage in the private market and will continue to do so. As to additional measures that they might informally put in place to help facilitate the process, there's certainly a likelihood that they will do those as well. There's a website at the OIR supports. It's www.shopandcompare.com, and that lists a number of the companies that are currently writing business and allows a consumer to put in certain information and essentially get a rate quote for their uh, policy. And so that will continue to be a source that the OIR will use in order to help facilitate a smooth transition. Again, this, by the terms of the State Farm plan will occur over a two-year period starting in November, no earlier than really November of 2009. So there is ample opportunity for the LAR to work with State Farm and work with other carriers and work with policymakers and other entities such as citizens to make this a very smooth transition. Clearly, the OIR and policymakers in the state of Florida would not like to see these policies going to citizens. Citizens has roughly a million policies now. The view is that that is too large. So they will make every effort to try to get these policies back into the private market as quickly as possible. In addition, the Department of Financial Services Consumer Services Hotline 
is informing people of other carriers writing in various areas when they call up. So carriers that are involved in Florida business and agents that are involved should alert the Department of Financial Services Consumer Services Division when they know certain carriers are writing in areas, and that way when consumers call that line, they can be informed of those other carriers writing in those particular areas. Okay, Krista, can you give some background on the Florida Hurricane Catastrophe Fund and any effects of State Farm's decision that it may face? Well, in Florida, as you're aware, uh, through HB1A, which was passed in January of 2007, that bill significantly increased the capacity of the CAP fund from $16 billion to a sliding scale of about $28 billion in 2007 and $29.1 million in 2008. HB1A also required uh, insurers to file what's known as presumed factor filings, leading to the notion that there was going to be a decrease in rates of roughly 24% based upon the increase in the cap fund capacity. State Farm is an example of an insurer who previously determined that those rates in the presumed factor and other factors within those rating laws were insufficient to allow them to responsibly write or to continue to write business in Florida. And that's why uh, last year State Farm filed for their statewide homeowner's average rate increase discussed earlier. In general, Florida property insurers have an enormous concern about the CAP fund's ability to meet its financial obligations in today's market. This concern has grown out of the fact that the state of Florida has taken on significant risk, but because of the credit markets and other financial circumstances that both the state as well as, well as the nation faces as a whole, there is this growing concern that if Florida were to get hit with a catastrophic storm, the CAP fund would not be able to meet its financial obligations to Florida insurance companies. Uh, and these concerns are well taken because the CAP fund has a finite 3 to $4 billion worth of cash that it generates from premiums every year, but the rest of the CAP fund financing mechanism is primarily through reinsurance, which is extremely expensive for an entity like the CAP fund to buy. In fact, in 2008, the CAP fund chose not to buy reinsurance and bought what could be considered to be a hedge product from Berkshire Hathaway for $224 million, where Berkshire Hathaway would essentially agree to provide bonding or financing capacity at the upper levels of the CAP fund for a 6% plus rate of return. In addition, you have Tickle going away in May of 2010. So if State Farm goes away and Tickle goes away, we need more private market solutions. And this is likely going to be an issue before the upcoming legislative session in 2009. So I'd conclude on this point and comment that it's not really an industry secret that the CAP fund has significant liquidity issues and maybe even solvency issues that will likely be addressed in the upcoming or the next legislative session. Fred, are there any other factors or players in the State Farm Florida issue that insurers should be aware of? Clearly there are, Brendan. Previously, Allstate, which is another major market player, had issues with the OIR after a rate filing, which was ultimately disapproved. Eventually, Allstate entered into a settlement agreement with the OIR, a consent order under which they agreed to continue to write business in the state of Florida and to write 100,000 additional Florida policies over a specified period of time. So I think all state clearly will play a role in this going forward in offering uh, affected state farm policyholders some coverage. In addition, the other carriers in Florida, the takeout companies, the Florida domestics, the capital incentive build-up companies, currently account for roughly 40% of the marketplace. They have additional capacity to write more policies, and those companies will continue to play a very pivotal role, and they've already indicated that they will step up to the plate and could, in fact, 
write this business if it was priced at an appropriate level. The citizens' rate freeze, whether that continues on, as Krista mentioned earlier, will certainly play a role in other companies' ability to write this business and whether these policies ultimately wind up in State Farm versus with private carriers. The expansion of the CAT fund, as Krista also just mentioned, will play a role as well, because to the extent that State Farm does leave the market, Tickle does not continue to be in force, and private carriers need to look at reinsurance in the private marketplace, that will be a very interesting situation, really, for the 2010 hurricane season. So what the state does ultimately with the CAT fund and with the Tickle layer layer going forward will uh, impact what can happen with respect to the state farm policies, and obviously the corollary to that, as I just mentioned, is the private reinsurance market and how that ultimately reacts to the state of Florida. The state farm agents will play a key role. As you are aware, state farm, unlike some of the other captive markets nationwide, all state and travelers, does not allow its agents to broker any business with any other companies. I think that the tact that State Farm has consistently taken and that they will continue to take is that they will not change that position. So if, in fact, State Farm's program is approved by the Florida Office of Insurance Regulation, State Farm agents will no longer have a market other than citizens to write in the state of Florida, and it will be very interesting to see whether the legislature or some other body tries to not allow state farm agents to have access to citizens anymore, probably based on the fact that state farm agents would no longer have any type of voluntary market in the state of Florida. There are some legislative uh, changes that have already been discussed based on state farm's action here, one of which is to modify the cherry-picking statute, Section 624-4055, which was passed in the special session of 2007, House Bill 1A, dealing with property insurance, restricts a company who is writing homeowners in other states from writing automobile insurance in Florida if they're not also writing homeowners insurance in Florida. That law was written very broadly, and I would submit to you that uh, State Farm has taken the position that that would not apply to them based on their current structure. I think you're going to see the legislature make a determination that they may want to modify that language to ensure that it does apply to State Farm. Another possible area of legislative fixes where the legislature will get involved is with regard to PUPs. As you're aware, State Farm, all state nationwide and travelers all have what's known as PUPs, smaller subsidiary companies from their parents in the 2007 legislation that we referenced earlier, that law was changed to not allow PUPs going forward and to change some of the requirements for PUPs that were currently in business. You could look at the legislature potentially shutting down the ability for any company to have PUPs in the state of Florida. As we mentioned earlier, the CAT fund is one area that the legislature may seek to modify given the notion that State Farm wouldn't be writing business in the state of Florida and other carriers may need additional reinsurance either through the CAT fund or if in the private market. Another area is moratoriums. The state, after Hurricane Andrew, imposed a moratorium on cancellations of homeowners' policies by current 
homeowners insurance carriers in the state. That moratorium, both legislatively, survived muster as well as in the judicial process, and it was significantly challenged by uh, the Vesta Fire Insurance Company, and the court ruled that that moratorium was constitutional. I don't know that the same facts and circumstances apply in this case, although clearly when you have a market player that currently has 25% of the market, there could be some notion on the part of some legislature, certainly, and even throughout the court system, that that requires certain state actions to take place. Okay, thank you, Fred. And Krista, how do you anticipate this playing out in Florida over the next few months? And further down the line, do you think that this can lead to any new trends by property insurers either within or outside the state of Florida? Okay. Um, well, as to your first question, how we anticipate it playing out, you know, officials for the OIR have publicly stated that the OIR intends to do everything it can to help facilitate a smooth transition of their policyholders if, in fact, State Farm's withdrawal plan is ultimately approved. And provided the OIR does not determine that the plan is hazardous to the public or policyholders, then, in fact, there is a good possibility that the plan could be approved. Uh, the OIR has 45 days from receipt of a complete notice, which includes all the additional requested information to approve the plan. And as I mentioned before, the OIR is still in the information gathering period uh, pursuant to the subpoena that was issued last week. So that 45-day clock has not started ticking yet. So with those procedural considerations in mind, if you're asking do we think State Farm will really leave, I don't know that that can be definitively answered. On one hand, you have the state's feeling on the issue, which appears to be rather evident from comments uh, such as the governor saying good riddance. And you also have this general public mentality that the, this insurance giant is abandoning Florida. It's abandoning its, its policyholders, and that's not a good feeling. On the other hand, you've got a significant capacity issue and, and the question who's going to absorb the 1.2 million policies in, in a state that struggled over property insurance in the past years. Will it be the smaller insurers, and how much will citizens really be able to handle? And is, is Florida really willing to let go one of its biggest market share uh, players? And, and I don't think that we really have that answer. So we definitely think it's a possibility that the state would ultimately approve the plan, uh, particularly you know, if, in fact, State Farm actually wants out and wants to see this thing uh, through fruition. Uh, the approval might come with conditions, and it might also come handled by the legislature through uh, amendments and, and might even possibly lead to the courts. It's really unclear this early on. Um, and as to trends by future insurers, as Fred just mentioned, there are currently some laws out there such as the cherry-picking statute, Section 624-4055, which could likely be revisited by the legislature to prevent companies like State Farm from writing auto here in Florida if they're affiliated with another company who writes property insurance in other states, um, as well as the PUP legislation, Section 624-407 and 624-4711, which could certainly be tightened up to prevent any future trends. Um, so with that, we'll just have to wait and see like everybody else. Okay, thank you very much, Krista. Thank you. And thank you both for joining us, uh, Fred and Krista. We really appreciate it today. It was our pleasure. We've just spoken with Fred Karlinski and Krista Culverson from the law firm of Kolodny, Foss, Talenfeld, Karlinski, and Abate with offices in both Fort Lauderdale and Tallahassee, Florida. Special thanks to Brendan Noonan from our communications team and to our producer, Brian Cohen. And thank you all for joining us for the Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, visit podcast.insuranceattorneysearch.com or go to online directories such as iTunes or Google, 
or Yahoo's podcast directory. And if you have any suggestions for a future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast at amvest.com. I'm John Zuba, joined by Brendan Noonan, and now this message. Best's directory of recommended insurance attorneys is used by decision makers at insurance companies responsible for selecting legal counsel and representation. The printed directory is distributed annually to insurance companies, non-insurance companies, third-party administrators, and corporate counsel around the world, and the online edition is accessible throughout the year. Your listing in Best's directory of recommended insurance attorneys is the most effective way to ensure that thousands of potential clients have access to your outstanding credentials. Here's why you should be listed in the number one insurance attorney reference. Your firm's credentials will be listed in our comprehensive reference guide, which is made available to thousands of insurance professionals globally, both in print and online. AMBEST listees are recognized as the most qualified in their field to represent the unique needs of insurance companies. Key decision makers rely on the directory to take the guesswork out of their selection process. They know that only the best are listed, those firms with a proven track record of excellence who are recommended by their insurance industry clients. And remember, one low rate guarantees year long visibility for your firm. We invite you to use our web application process to apply for a listing today. With our reasonable rates and broad exposure, there's no more effective way to get the attention of the insurance industry. For more information about Best's Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys, visit www.insuranceattorneysearch.com. 